Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the ULP Podcast. As always, ULP stands for Ultimately Loneliness Prevails. Tonight on the show, it's me, Scott Reed, along with... Ryan Johnson, Chris Darden, and Corey Evan Wright. On this episode, we're going to talk about the Big Book of Madness. We're going to have a discussion about Half Christmas with a, a Half Christmas gift-buying guide. And we're going to talk about the old game, or the, the party game that's been out for about 10 years or so, Say Anything. But first, before we get into anything else, let's talk about our weeks in gaming. Chris, go ahead. Oh, I knew you'd start with me. So, um, what have I played recently? So, I had some guys over to the house from work, uh, introducing them to games. I got to play with them. I While we were waiting for people to gather, we played Coloretto, which I haven't played in a while. Oldie but goodie. Uh, nice little filler. You know, still highly recommended. Um, then we played Orléans. Uh, the Tasty Minstrel game, Orleans. I like it, but I don't love it. It felt kind of samey after a while. I'm hoping that the expansion does something um, to fix that. But right now it's just okay. I'd like to... I, I'd still play it again. I just want to see if it changes at all. I also got to play Ashes, Rise of the Phoenixborn, which is kind of a Magic the Gathering in a box with dice and you know different kind of... But same kind of thing. If you know how to play Magic, you're going to pick this up right away. It is inferior to Magic in every single way, you know, much like the majority of those kind of games are. Um, the art's okay, but otherwise not that great. And then they all try to do multiplayer, too. And multiplayer is not good. You know, it, you got to play that one-on-one. And then I got a chance to play Neolithic, which is a little two-player card game that was on Kickstarter a while back that was super cheap. It's got a bunch of uh, multi-use cards. comes in a little card pack. Um, it was actually really fun. Surprisingly fun. A lot going on there. You're trying to like gather sets of stuff by doing different actions. You get to place stuff in your own tableau when you bring your villagers back from those actions, like hunting and gathering and you know things like that. So actually, highly recommend that one. Also got to play Targi um, with my wife, which has been out for a while. I've played online, but I've never played in person, so we played it. She really enjoyed it. I thought it was okay. And uh, I got to play Above and Below with Ryan, which I'll mm-hmm. let him talk about, uh, which I, I enjoy. Uh, my only complaint about that game is it seems like once you finally get going, the game is over. You know, like you don't get one last chance to kind of see what engine or whatever you've put together. It just kind of ends. But uh, overall, it's been a pretty good week in gaming for me. And we also bought a few things at the local game store here because I ended up with um, Happy Salmon. Happy Salmon is definitely a con game. Very simple, very easy, looks like fun. I had no idea what the uh, Happy Salmon was, but now I knew. And now my kids know, and they're better people for it. Basically, you just have this deck of cards, and you're and you're yelling out, like, high five, high five, high five. And you're looking for somebody else yelling high five, and then you got to high five them. And then you get to throw away that card. Or there's Pound It, you know, where you do the fist bump. There's switcheroo where you have to like actually you know grab your deck and switch places with the person on the other side of the table. Then you can throw away your cards. And then there's the happy salmon where you reach past each other's hands on their arms and you know like like do that <laughs> you know like a fish flapping against their forearm basically. <laughs> and that's a happy salmon. So I'm gonna get close so you can hear that like that. So. Uh-huh. so once you do that, you know you can throw away your card. The first person yep. to get rid of all their cards wins. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, it's yep. very easy, very dumb. Six players. Like, my kids are already, like, they're all over, you know. And you can play quietly, too. You know, like, so you can just kind of, like, make the symbols and look for somebody, you know. And, and it comes in a little package that looks like a salmon. So, oh. 
There was I, only one of them, or I would have bought yeah. that as well. <laughs> yeah, I grabbed it. I've been eyeing it for a bit, and I finally grabbed it. Excellent, excellent. Ryan, how about you? Uh, tell us some about Above and Below, as well as uh, what was your week sure. in gaming like? Uh, well, so the, the week started with uh, <clears throat> Chris reminded us uh, a while ago that Miniature Market was having their both their clearance sale and their what new site sale or whatever it was. Um, so I spent an embarrassing amount of money there and got all that in. A lot of games workshop stuff. So I've been slowly going through that stuff. Uh, I picked up like Magic the Gathering, the their her- HeroScape version of that. Where, um, what's that called? Duel the Planeswalkers? Yeah, yeah Duel like the that? Planeswalkers. Stuff like that. I picked up the new Sushi Roll Party, um, which looks, looks it's, it's more of the same, but it, it kind of adds a little bit more of a... Uh, a couple more elements to it, and a, and a game board, which I haven't read completely through the rules yet for. But uh, I can't wait to let Scott look at this because the Rick and Morty card game I I bought actually mm. looks kind of fun because it's basically just uh, it's the episode where like new characters are popping in, except they're not real characters, and then he, he like Rick is going around and trying to kill the right characters, and that's the one where Mister Poopy Pants shows up. So it's just a card game where you're you're trying to shoot the right characters. I believe the character's name was Mr. Poopy Butthole. It might be, actually, Mr. Poopy Butthole. It, it totally is Mr. Poopy Butthole. <laughs> uh, burned in my mind forever, Mr. Poopy Butthole. All right, well, that sounds like fun. But then, yeah, uh, Saturday I went down and uh, took a road trip out to uh, St. Louis, mostly just to get some barbecue at Sugar Fire, but Chris was also there. You know, we, we hung out and talked games and the game business and... Like Chris normally does, he showed me about 10 to 15 games I should have in my collection and don't. So I've been trying to stop from going on Amazon and buying those. Uh, But yeah, then we played Above and Below. I I agree with Chris. What I did really, really enjoy about Above and Below, which is uh, for for anybody listening that has no idea what it's about, it's it's a game where you're trying to build more than the other players and there's about what is about three different kind of mechanics there where you can you can build for victory or you can produce for victory and but the best thing about it is it has the arabian knights or agents of smirch mechanic where you go on adventures and you roll a die and it tells you the the page in the book to read and then you get these little events that you have to you know make a decision in and what i don't like about the other two games is like in arabian knights there's not much game other than just hearing new stories as they develop and seeing what happens to your character. In Agents of Smirch, it feels a little bit confusing at times, and it's a little bit too much uh, of an impact on gameplay, where in this one, you actually didn't have to do it at all, um, but it was one of those enjoyable things that it just kind of gave you a story, and the choices were actually pretty hard, and they they impacted, you know, how many people you were sending into the the, uh, underground, and, you know, those people could be doing other things for you, but you want to ensure that you can steal from the old people you meet down there or the, or save them or whatever. No, I really enjoy it. And I, I totally agree with Chris that just when you realize what you need to be doing and get that engine going, it's way too late and then it's over. Yeah. I really enjoy it. I love the art on it too. But yeah. That was my week. Excellent. Corey, how about you? What'd you do this week? Uh, I didn't have a very exciting week. I played uh high ho Cherio with my niece who is almost three. It was a very messy and disorganized. I wouldn't even call it a game. <laughs> That was pretty much it this week. I, I didn't have too much time. Had a lot of stuff going on. That's an awesome week. Yeah. Hi Ho Cherio. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever actually played Hi Ho Cherio. 
Yeah, uh, it's the only game she had, and she didn't have half the uh, the buckets that need to go in the cardboard. So um, it was more just watch her count out of order uh, cherries and then throw them at me. This is a blast. <laughs> so it was a dexterity game. Exactly. I didn't have a lot this week. I had a couple friends over for my weekly gaming group, and we played Cathedral and San Juan. Cathedral just came off the shelf because I hadn't played it in a long while, and San Juan we specifically played because one of the friends does not like Race for the Galaxy, so we put on, we tricked him into playing San Juan, hoping that maybe we could get him to come back to playing Race for the Galaxy. He still denies Race for the Galaxy, so that may never happen. Uh, also did a little, little thrifting this last week, picked up about a dozen games uh, at a couple of different places. Nothing really of note, just some stuff to possibly resell in the future. Although I did find, uh, I found a Haba game in the wild. I found Full Damp 4 House, which is a looks to be pretty much just a train-themed uh, lotto or bingo. But I did also find a copy of Body Boggle, which is, uh, as Chris knows, is a bit like Twister and Boggle thrown together into one into one game. So that one's... Looks like it could be interesting. And then, uh, you know, Sorry Sliders, Wits and Wagers, some of the other standard stuff. For our first segment, we're going to talk about Big Book of Madness, uh, which is a co-op game for several players, but Ryan's going to tell us about it. Big Book of Madness is uh, a game from Yellow. Um, We first kind of found out about it at Essen. It was one of the big games they were um, really demoing a lot and pushing. So it's a competitive game where... Um, you all play petulant versions of like the Harry Potter kind of wizard. Um, you're in a school and you don't like that the teachers are holding you back <clears throat> and you think that you can cast more magic. So somebody goes down into a basement snooping around and finds a book that promises them uh, more power. And they open it and the premise is that, that monsters escape. So you gather together your friends and you're trying to, uh, so each page is going to release a monster. You're trying to get through, I believe it's six monsters. You don't necessarily have to defeat each monster, but you have to defeat the last monster. Uh, and you have, it's it's kind of one of those hand management. Uh, there's, a, there's a deck, there's a little bit of a deck building element. Uh, each wizard has a, a, a unique power, so there's you know player powers kind of a mechanic to it. It's a game where you're you have certain tasks that need to be beaten. So each uh, for each round, there's at least I think four cards, and uh, as players take their turns, you move a, a piece that tells you where you're at in the round to the next card. And if that card hasn't been uh, removed by a previous player in that round something bad's going to happen to the group. <clears throat> and it's either you'll lose some resources or you'll get a madness card. And the madness cards are kind of one of the main mechanics for the game for it to either get harder or uh, it's a timing mechanism. So the the uh, when you draw madness out of your – or when you get madness, you take a card and you put it into your deck. Uh, and then when you draw that card back, that madness card stays in your hand until either a spell effect or another player spends something to get rid of that card for you. It kind of clogs your hand. But um, we played it, I think the first time we played it was at Board Game Geek Con last fall. Um, We played the simple game, right? And we beat it really easily, if I remember right. And then later on, we played it again. I think, Scott, you and I, no, we didn't win. We didn't win the first one because we were stupid. We played, uh, before we played at Beach Con, you brought it over to my house. And we played it, and that's where we did not grasp onto what we were supposed to be doing. That's right. And and we, we failed spectacularly. Right. Yeah. So in the game, you're really the idea is 
as you progress through the pages of this book, and it's got some great graphics, right? It's, it's yellow. They're they're known for their artwork now, at least by me. You build this book. The, the cards, a couple of the cards in the, uh, that for the book are double-sided, and they have pages. But the way the deck can go together to form the book it makes the game different, you know, every time you play it. So... But as you as you go through the book, it's going to get harder and harder and harder. And you really need to change the level two or level one and level two kind of resource cards you have in your hand to start with into threes so that you can do more with less. And we did not realize that <clears throat> lost horribly. And then we just like kicked the crap out of the game at BGG Con. We got kind of uh, bolstered by that. After BGG contemplated again at Scott's on the medium setting, and it just murdered us. We just, we had no chance. It's a great cooperative game. I mean, it's it's one of those games where there's a great benefit to passing actions from your turn to other players. So I felt I feel like it's one of the competitive games that works pretty well. With you're not necessarily just waiting on your turn. You're really trying to solve this puzzle of. How do we get rid of all of these pages, defeat this monster, and not be hosed for the next page? And all the time leading up to the what's going to be a really tough battle on the last page. So, uh, I I really enjoy it. Probably one of the one of the better cooperative games I've played um, recently. But uh, yeah, I'm glad I own it. And again, the art is just just right up my alley. So. Yeah, I like it quite a bit as well. I find that the, the the mechanism of the game, which allows you to, from your basic set of spells, to have some influence about what's what's going on with your deck, but also to to shift actions to some other players, is interesting. And in that, like Ryan said, it has sort of a puzzle sol- solving element that you look to what resources some other players have, what they might have, and you have you talk about it around the table about what you might be able to accomplish. But that I feel like Big Book of Madness more than some other co op games, when you actually do shift it, actions around the table to some other players you're basically borrowing against the future as well because players don't refill their hands until the end of their turn. So if another player is able to contribute to solving this puzzle, when their turn actually comes around, when they make it around the table to them, they're going to be short for what they can do when that when that actually happens. So you have to plan your timing out a little bit. That sometimes it can work out. You can look at you can actually look to the future and say, oh well, by the time we reach that point, we're not going to have to do anything. So you're going to have a free turn when it's your turn, and we're gonna you're going to refill your hand, and we're going to need to do nothing. But I feel like that was a factor in in the games we played is that sometimes we got a little bit of ahead of ourselves and cleared out our hands to try to solve a puzzle set. But that when you know when players' turns came back around again to game came around to their actual turn, they didn't have anything to do. So that the you know the, the madness progressed, the the monsters got worse, and, and and we generally got beat down. Chris, do you have any thoughts? Uh, I like it too. I think it's fun. I like the artwork. I like the theme a lot. I remember playing the first time. It was. It seemed really easy. You know, like we destroyed that game, and I was like, "Oh, is there anything to this?" And then that second time that I played, uh, we got we got you know, it was just rough. We got killed. So I like it. I think it's on the better end of co-ops. Um, I still like Pandemic. Still up there for me. Uh, Pandemic Legacy was really good. I still love Witch of Salem. I think Witch of Salem is still one of my top co-ops as well. Yeah, I would call this up there with them. I just don't know how often it would hit the table overall because I I think it's probably best with like four, uh, four or five. You You need a number of players with it. I don't think the game would be that fun with two, but I'm not sure. Yeah, and it's definitely got that, like Scott was saying, 
you can have these rounds where they're really, really tough. And I think more plays lets you kind of mitigate, you know, needing to beat every page because the game's also really good about, you know, each page that you either beat or fail at has either a boon or a bane, right? So it's going to do something bad to you. Some of them aren't necessarily that bad. And timing-wise, they could be pretty really terrible or just not really affect you at all the boons are always really good so i think in the game that we played and got beat badly we fell victim to trying to get those you know the 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 boons too much and then we were just we weren't paying attention toward the end of it and i think we lost on page four of six Corey, what about you? I know you haven't played it, but... No, but it, it looks like uh, probably right up my alley. I'm, I'm always looking out for good co-op games. Plus, it's uh, the right price point, and the theme looks really cool. So uh, it's been on my list, actually, for a while, but it's good to hear that you guys think favorably of it. So, Yeah, I think my only downside is with co-op games, my wife and I tend to play them, you know, just two-player for the most part. You know, when we have more people over, a co-op rarely comes out. I don't know why, um, but I would want it to work with two. So maybe I should try it see how it works out i just have the feeling that the more options you have available the different powers around the table the more fun it is yeah because i don't i don't know how that would change i guess you would have i guess two players just have multiple turns on one page yeah that could be that could be interesting i bet you would you would run into a problem with the madness doing it being having it be that way if anything just because you cycle your deck so quickly yeah, you know, because in because in the game, you know, the, really a lot of times you're trying to get, you know, because there's not a whole lot. I think it's the fire spells that really get rid of the madness. And with two players, you'd really have to split it up. Like you wouldn't want both players to be strong in fire. So you know, one player is constantly going to be have to be purging madness for both players. But I, it'd be interesting. I'm gonna have to try that as well. Okay, well, moving on from from talking about big book of madness, it's late June. Which is it's six months away from uh, on on each end from Christmas. So right now this part of the year is half Christmas. We discussed that we were going to going to talk about a uh, a half Christmas gift buying guide before the show. We were talking we were talking amongst ourselves about some games that we might recommend to other players or uh, we would we would buy for other players who are looking to uh, to expand their collection. I'm going to lead off here with with one of my recommendations for a, what I think is a good game for just about anybody is Dr. Eureka. It's a kind of silly, fast, pattern-building game. So Dr. Eureka is a game where players have three vials where they have six colored balls in them. And players turn over a card and they have to match the pattern that's on the card. And whoever does it fastest wins the card. But the whole key of the game is that the way you move the balls or the way you set up your patterns is you have to pour the balls from one tube into the next tube. So you can't use your hands, and you if you accidentally drop one on the table, you are out for that round. It's got a great price point. I think it, at retail it was originally $20, and then a lot of discounted retail has it for somewhere around like 12 and a half to 15 which is is wonderful. But it's, it's, a, it's a visually interesting-looking game, and I think it's one that's pretty accessible to kids and adults alike. Well, Ryan, do you have any recommendations of games that you would give as gifts or you think that would be uh, good to buy for new gamers, old gamers alike? I've been looking at it. It's it's pretty expensive, but um, it's actually really expensive. But uh, a great gift for somebody, especially if they have a history of liking Games Workshop games right now, would be the uh, Warhammer Quest Silver Tower. It's a new version of Warhammer Quest that's come out um, from the reviews. It's ver- it's quite a bit different from the old game, uh, but people are are seeming to like it a little bit. And um, you know, it's got great. It's like it's Citadel miniatures, so they're they're great miniatures, and the gameplay is is familiar but completely different. So, you know, but at one hundred fifty dollars retail, I think you can get it for about ninety. Um, one hundred five seems to be the free shipping on the Amazon price, but uh, 
that would make a great gift for somebody because it's like every Games Workshop game. It's not just a game. It's also half a hobby in a box where you've got plastic models, you paint them. You know, there's a there's a high caliber of examples of, of those out in the hobby. So lots of work to do on the one I've got now. So Yeah, I think it'd be a really good gift, though, for someone that, you know, was interested in that type of game. And I mean, I enjoy playing the older version, so I think it would be, you know, it's not just like a, you're not just getting them a game. It's, you know, it's got a lot of value to it, plus that whole hobby aspect. So. Right. Corey, what about you? You're fairly, you've got a lot of, of available space in your collection. What would be a game that you'd either want to receive as a gift or you think would be a good gift to give to someone else? I think if I was given a gift, I might do sneaky cards. I think most of my, I don't have any friends that play too many games, but I think that's a good, like, doesn't really limit them. It's got a lot of options and it's fun and it seems to be, I mean, people seem to really like it. I think that'd be a good one. If uh, if I had to receive one, I think um, I'm not really sure. I, I haven't played Code Names. I think that'd be a cool one to have in the collection. Um, and then there's a couple of Kickstarter games like that Fugitive game that's been getting some traction. I think that'd be really cool. It's coming out. It's going to be shipped in November. So assuming it ships on time, it'd be a good gift. So those those would be two two big ones for me. Tell tell me more about this game that's on Kickstarter, the uh, Fugitive. Yeah, so Fugitive, it's like a two-player, uh, like a 10-minute quick chase trying to, one, one player is trying to get out of town and one try, is, is one trying is trying to catch them before they get out of town. So hunter or prey kind of thing. But it's got really cool artwork, a really cool box, and it's, it's actually doing pretty darn well. It had a $5,000 goal and it's at 107000 already uh, with 12 days left. So it's doing pretty well, but it, um, it looks like a lot of fun. I'm a sucker for like that retro kind of Mad Men art style and it's full of that so it uh, looks kind of fun and I also really like uh, you know quick short pickup games like that so kind of fits all checks on my boxes. Chris what about you what game would you put on your gift giving guide for others? For the family game thing I think I'm going older uh, I'd go with like Can't Stop uh, something like that you know it's still widely available it's gotten a reprint or two good family game four players press your luck pretty easy to understand mechanics and Always a good time. It's got those good moments where you're cussing and, you know, that kind of thing. Much like uh, Corey was talking about before the podcast, Game of 49 has got that same kind of feel where you're cussing other players, you know, which is available on Target now, which is very cool. And then for the gamers, I look at stuff in my collection and think, you know, I haven't played that in a while. And one of the games that I was looking at was um, Chicago Express. I love Chicago Express. It's a good medium-ish game, uh, good for gamers. Lots of different things going on in it. Um, and if you wanted to go with American Rails, you'd get the same kind of feel, but with more variability. So one of those for that stronger gamer, I think I would go to one of those. While we were discussing this here, another one I thought of that I would put on my list of, of games that, that work very well as gifts are the uh, the timeline series of games, especially like timeline diversity or timeline inventions? Those two, I think, hit probably the high points that that they're pretty accessible to a lot of people. The gameplay is simple enough that it's it it there's not much to, to explain with the rules, just that you're adding cards to a timeline and that uh, you you want them to fit within the, a numerical order. But that I, I think that there's a knowledge information that the, that that's um, that everyone can get a piece of. Now, if you want to go down the rabbit trail and get into like music and cinema or a couple of the other ones that get into a bit more specialized knowledge, you can go right ahead. Those are, you know, trying to figure out whether, whether a movie came out in 63 or 64 is might be a little bit over uh, some, some players capabilities, but I feel like that the, the general information of diversity and, and inventions can give uh, somebody who has a general knowledge of history, uh, a good chance of, of performing well. 
Yeah, I like the the right in line with those is the card line games too. So the kind of the one that's one's kind of a ge- geography uh, game, and then they've got animals and dinosaurs. And when we were in Essen, we saw that they that company had picked up a the Marvel license, and they did a Marvel. So you'd you'd have spider-man and hulk and you know all these marvel characters and you'd have to place them in order of how strong they were you know how you know i don't know what else has anybody seen that actually come to america yet i'm not sure i thought it did but i haven't seen it personally i am not aware of it that's that's what you guys should get me for half christmas then speaking of things that people should get for half christmas chris would you recommend that people would pick up team play for others for half christmas I think Team Play is a good one, although it's hard to get because it's not available in the U.S. right now. But, you know, Team Play is a good one. But one that is available in the U.S. that I just recently got is a game called Punderdome, which is all about puns and making puns. You take two different cards, you combine them together, everybody comes up with their best pun, writes it down, submits it to the judge, and then they, you know, tell you which one they like the best. We had fun just playing around with the concept of it. I'd like to play a real game of it sometime. And uh, like most good party games, you can take it where you want to go with it. You can either make it nice and clean for grandma or, you know, nice and dirty for grandma. Depends on your grandma. True, yep. true. <laughs> I think I like that it, you know, the thing that I like about it is that it, it is encouraging you to be terrible. You know what I mean? Like, grown, the grown-worthy stuff is the best. You know what I mean? Like oh, yeah. That, uh, you know, just the name, the name of the game being Punderdome. You know what I mean? Like, that that should put you in a certain mood to of what you're supposed to produce in the game. Well, just as, a, as an example, when I was you know, hanging out with Chris on Saturday. He showed it to me and we just pulled two random cards out. One was celebrities and one was fighting. And I sat there. I mean, it was almost like a nightmare dream about just sitting in school half naked. I had, I couldn't think of anything. I mean, absolutely nothing. And so, so we text Scott. What were some of your examples, Scott? Uh, I had, uh, Alec Baldwin. Um, I went way back. It wasn't Brawley Ringwald. It was Mealy. Melee, Melee yeah. Ringwald. That's right, yeah. Melee Ringwald. And then I was like, I should probably make that Ma- Melee Cyrus. Yeah, yeah uh, Melee Cyrus is better. Melee Cyrus, uh, Dame Judy Punch. Right, uh, that was terrible. <laughs> and uh, Slamuel Jackson. Yes, <laughs> so good. Wait, yeah, oh Wacky Chan. A oh, Wacky Chan. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I, I, I would be terrible. That would, that would be a fun game to, to be a part of. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would. So I'd throw another throw another one in because that sushi go party. My kids love sushi go. It's the you know family fun version of uh, Seven Wonders. Uh, and we've talked about it before on this show, but you know it's it has a low barrier for entry for kids, and you're just you know you're collecting you know the different sushis. And unlike Seven Ages or Seven Wonders, it it doesn't really it doesn't have cards that build on other cards. But the nice thing about this sushi go party is it. Uh, increases the number of players you can play up to eight. Uh, and then it lets you kind of customize all these new types of sushi that they've added to it, all with their own cute little illustrations. But you got, you kind of get to set the menu, customize the menu for each game. So it, it looks like they've done a good job of really broadening what's a pretty sound game and good for, you know, good for parties and mixed, mixed company. So Good, good, excellent. So for our third segment, we're going to talk about a party game that's been out for about 10 years or so. Say Anything is a is a party game from North Star Games, the same company that makes Wits and Wagers, as well as Cluzel and a, and a handful of other games. 
Say Anything takes the ideas that are present in Apples to Apples or party games of that ilk where where one where players are trying to match with, with a sort of a moderator type person, but instead of players being fixated on only having cards they, they can put in or having a hand of cards that they can choose from, in Say Anything, players have a small whiteboard and they can write down whatever they want, uh, which, as we were just talking about with Punderdome, lets you take the game from playing it with Grandma or playing it with your, your filthy, filthy friends or playing with your filthy, filthy grandma. I've been playing... Uh, I've I played Say Anything, uh, I think, about 10 years ago for the first time, uh, and it's been one of my one of my top recommendations of a go-to party game that's widely accessible and that can scale to a lot of different types of groups. Just because uh, the play of the game allows you to... One, you can be creative, and you can write whatever you'd like on your whiteboard, but then two, I think that they, that they finally got the mechanism right where players are not just waiting to find out what the question asker chose. What happens is the players turn in their whiteboards, the question asker flips up all the whiteboards and reads off the answers. Then the, the question asker has a secret wheel that he chooses which one is, is the one that he picks the best and then puts the, the wheel down. And then all the other players have betting chips that they put bets down on um, the, uh, the answers for what they think is the answer that the question asker chose. So you have a have an opportunity, one, to win points by having the answer that the question asker chooses, but also if you can correctly identify what the question asker is going to choose as the best answer, you can also win points that way. So I feel like that it strikes that good balance of of not just having sort of the having only one player actually get any sort of result out of a round you could never get an answer right but you could still end up winning and say anything as long as you know the, the minds of people you're playing with if you can consistently make your bets work out yeah i i i mean i think this this is one of those games that you know unless you're a the kind of gamer that just plays like the train games or you know is in such a specific genre this is one of those games that if you're a gamer of any kind that this needs to be in your collection right because it's accessible to your friends and your family and it's it's one of those great you know, holiday games. We play it every year at Thanksgiving and at Christmas. And like Scott said, the thing I like most about it is like I've played it with people that are just not very extroverted. You know, I don't tend to be super extroverted outside of close knit groups, but you know, it doesn't take, it only takes about a round or two of other people being witty and funny to kind of kickstart you into being, you know, coming out of your shell and putting in little quips or, you know, or getting kind of funny on your own. So, you know, I've watched games where some of the quietest kids I've ever met actually kind of come out of their shell and, and have some pretty funny, you know, examples or just like at one point, one of us had a, we said something about Michael Jackson. We realized that this 10 year old kid had no idea who Michael Jackson was. That it's just a really, you know, fun game to play, and I've never, I've never played it without several rounds where everybody's laughing and needs to take a break. Yeah, I'm a big fan of like Wits and Wagers, so I've never played Say Anything, but I know I'd really enjoy it. I'd like to play it, especially with you guys. It would be a lot of fun, and I, I think each of my different like, groups that I would play games like this with would have different a different style of of game. Like it would always be funny, but you know, different groups, different styles of how 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 raunchy your answers are going to be or how funny. So, right. Yeah, because that's one of the things I like about the game is you can play it very straight. You know, you can you can ask questions like, in my opinion, what's the best music album of all time? And and everybody could, depending on how well they know the the, the asker, might be able to give a very accurate answer or might be able to hit, hit very close to the bullseye on that one. But also, 
there are some very open-ended questions that someone could present that the group can just take and run with. All right. So I so I've got the game sitting here in front of me, and uh, like an example of one of the ones that can be open-ended and either be answered honestly, uh, it could be answered in a raunchy way, or it can just really be answered in a way that, in a very friendly way, it makes fun of the person asking the question. Uh, the question would be, in my opinion, what's my biggest guilty pleasure? So, you know, that just opens it up for, you know, people to kind of poke fun at me and who knows how close to home they actually get, right? Well, even beyond that, I mean, you can actually, uh, you know, go with the other meanings of those words and talk about actually guilty pleasure. Right. Now, so there's also there's also there's two versions of the game. One is an actual family edition that has maybe more specific categories that aren't as open to interpretation and keeps it cleaner. But yeah, they, I think they're virtually the same. I think you're right. There's less there are less questions on the on the family edition cards. Yeah, two versions, both of them just as good as each other. We've actually almost pa- grabbed this like at Target on the way to fr- people's houses before. I love that it's like I just checked their site at twelve bucks. That's yeah. it's pretty awesome. You can just go grab it, and it's also kind of interesting. They have a screenshot from Geek and Sundry from Will Wheaton's table playing this game on the Target website, which is kind of interesting. Uh, there used to be like a I don't know if it still there still exists. There was a partnership for a while between Geek and Sundry and Target ah, their see. games. Okay, like they, they had an end cap and stuff, but I don't know if any of that stuff is still active. Gotcha. Yeah, and I think I think. One of their more popular episodes was the Say Anything episode because they, they actually show they play it out instead of kind of time-lapsing through it. Chris, what are your thoughts on Say Anything? Uh, I like Say Anything a lot. I think it takes apples to apples and makes it better because you can provide your own answers. Um, like Corey said, it's cheap, you know, and it, it's very accessible. Um, you can turn it any direction you want. I first played it at Origins you know, years ago and had a great time with it and picked it up almost immediately. I had, I think I have both versions now. I think I have the family one and the and the regular one. So just good, good fun. I think it's a great concept and it's done really well. Yeah, I would recommend it to anyone. Uh, it should be one of those standard party games in anyone's collection, I think, especially at that price point, 12 boxes super yeah. cheap for that totally. um, and it, also and it's not a cheap game it's not a ch- it's not cheaply made either it's got great components yeah that's what yeah, that's next yeah yeah it's got the the marker boards and the whole thing all right well now that we've talked about say anything let's move on into our hypothetical question for this show since we were talking about half christmas and had a, a short gift giving guide in the middle of the episode our question for tonight was if you could go back in time and slip a particular game under the christmas tree for your eight to twelve year old self what game would it be and the idea behind this is that the game you would love to have had as a child and you probably would have played until it wore apart. Right. Youngest to oldest. Oh, uh, yeah. Youngest to oldest. Yeah, well, fine. Corey, it's definitely you then. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is an easy one for me. Crossfire was the game that uh, I always wanted. My parents would never let me get. My cousin had it. We played it all the time, even though it was terrible. Uh, I have very, like, very vivid memories of, especially that the little triangle that with the BB in the middle of it. Um, I think I actually still, I think I kept that because we broke the game. And just, yeah, I think I have it somewhere. Um, so, but, you know, it's one of those things that, that always stuck with me. And I, if I could find one, I would, I would, uh, I would have definitely taken that as a, as a under the tree gift as a kid, for oh, sure. The best commercial, too. That commercial, man. But that was the problem is the commercial. Fire! The commercial oversold the game because, because like, Chris, you've played it, correct? Yeah. And Ryan, you've played it's it. It's terrible. It's a it's terrible sucks. game. It's, I mean, the, the, the gravity feed gun is fine, but the, you can barely move those pucks across oh, the board, and yeah. that's what that's what the game was supposed to be about. You have to have the sunglasses the kids wearing in the commercial. <laughs> you jump on your hoverboard and, and, and fly and away. The, yeah, the Brian Bosworth haircut that he's got. Yeah, yeah. and if you Radical. lose, they banish you to the shadow zone. 
<laughs> Crossfire. All right, well, Chris, what about you? What game would you put under the tree? Uh, the web page I was looking at that you were accusing me of before was the BGG page for the game I was going to say, which is Broadsides and Boarding Parties. Big game. It was a big Milton Bradley Game Master Series game. Had a big 3D ship and a bunch of little sailor and pirate minis and the whole thing. And they attack each other. You can, you know, you point cannons out of the side of the ship. The whole deal. It was always huge. It was always expensive. You know, when I saw it in the stores and yeah, uh, I've what I know about it now is that it's not the greatest game in the world. Well, a lot like a lot of those Game Master games, but I would have played the hell out of that game. I would have just set it up at every opportunity and tried to, you know, trick my cousins into playing it or whatever. So. Well, you know, what's interesting is that the few people that I know that have played it got it when they were young. And it was one of those games that got them thinking about how how should this game really be played? Like, how do we make this better? I mean, like I know three guys that had it from from young, being young, and all three of them have you know, their own home rule versions that are better. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. apparently. Yeah. From what I know, it's kind of easily breakable, you know, right. with the rules in the box. But yeah, I, I've heard much the same thing. I just think it's... It's just cool looking when you have it all set up. And as a kid, you know, just the amount of minis it had. I mean, I had that Star Wars Sarlacc Pit game as a kid, you know, with the the Jabba's Barge over the bridge. And then it had all the minis and everything. Terrible game. Like, it wasn't fun at all. But I played with it all the time, you know, trying to come up with better rules for the minis and how it was played and everything. And I I would bet I would probably do the same thing with this. Yeah, I came, I came across this one when I was, like, hunt, like one of our uh, earlier episodes, we were talking about, like, pirate games, and I just, I love that board setup. It's just, it's, I mean, I'm, it doesn't look like it's my type of game, but that board is awesome. As a kid, I would have loved that. So, Ryan, what game would you want to have under the tree? Um, for me, it had to be Chopper Strike. Uh, that was a game that, uh, kind of like in Chris's example, it was pretty expensive, uh, and I actually only knew one one kid that had it. But it, it's a little war game, uh, and there's tanks and I think little outposts on a on a map, and then there's this acrylic box top that you put over the top of it, and your choppers, you know, move around on that on that level above it. And I had no I've, I have no idea whether it was a good game or not, but it it was one that you know the visuals of it made you want to play it and i'd also slip slip myself a copy of dune that i wouldn't have played back then but would have hopefully held on to and sold for a mint i uh looked at games that would come out when i was between 8 and 12 and two things came to mind for actual play for like like a, what, what still holds up as a as a fairly decent game i would go with uh survive survive came out in 86 i believe and it, it's still it's still has lasting power today i i do like the older parker brothers version of it regardless but just sort of that cutthroat aspect of it and then the the management of trying to get your high numbers off the island so it's not just a game of how many guys you get off but which numbers do you get off and and who makes it to safety but for sheer christmas day joy and silliness i probably would go with something like torpedo run uh it's it's a it's a play on the floor game you have these little pucks and you're like more or less like shooting them across the the way to try to get them in these little spaces underneath the ships and that's how you that's how you do damage and whatnot i have a my brother is about 6 years older than me so when i was 6 when i was 8 he would have been about 14 uh, and yeah i could just see the two of us just just doing that over and over again for a couple of years until he you know gets a car and goes and picks up girls and that stuff but you know for a couple solid years there we would play the we would play the, the pants off of torpedo run on the floor 
What was the uh, the fantasy version of that? Crossbows and catapults? Was that the name of it? The crossbows and catapults was a different one. That would be another one that would be like, like ridiculous toy level. But that crossbows and catapults has like a, a stand-up tower and stuff. And But yeah, it's got like rubber banded like uh, pressure plates and stuff like that. So you launch physical items at the castle. And when you hit, uh, it causes things to happen. It causes like guys to go flying or whatever else. It's it's really, it's visually impressive. I've, I've had a, a thrifted copy that wasn't complete, but... Uh, it's interesting looking at least. That was one yeah. of the things I actually got that for Christmas. And that as you know, when I think back to Christmases that, you know, I had a full day of playing with my Christmas toy. Uh, one of them was the, uh, and this is so lame, the matchbox uh, car garage, which was, I don't know why that was so compelling. It was just a garage where you would park your matchbox cars. Uh, but the, I mean, I, for, for days, I, I'm sure my father, uh, was sick of playing that of crossbows and catapults with me because I mean at the time I even remember like he, he would get mad at me because I was always just launching him as far as I could I wasn't actually really trying to I was trying to hit him as much as I was the castle so yeah I nice. wish I still had it yeah I have reprint of crossbows and catapults from it was about, it was about eight or nine years ago yeah. that was out for a while that had really good components and was going for crazy amounts for a bit and then they stopped making it again yep. So I have that version, and it's really good. I've played it, and uh, we've yeah. had a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I bought into it too, and there's uh, a couple of those war machines didn't really work that well, but yeah, a lot of them did. Okay, well, that's going to bring us to the, the end of our episode. On our next episode, we're planning on talking about All-American Games for our America. America! America! America episode. Proud to be an American. Yes, yeah, we'll, be, we'll be doing all of that on our next episode. <laughs> By, by a lot. special guest, not not Lee Greenwood. Lee Greenwood. He retweeted yeah. you. That's close enough. You're friends now. Yeah, we're yeah. gonna we're gonna invite Lee Greenwood. We'll see if he comes. Yeah, invite him. Uh, uh, so yes, yeah, yeah. on, on our next episode, we're gonna be talking about all American gaming with America, and perhaps Lee Greenwood as well, if we can <laughs> convince him to come. Uh, so that's gonna be it for our, our episode this time for the ULP podcast. I'm Scott Reed. I'm at Ludography Scott on Twitter. I'm Ryan Johnson. I'm at Old River Studios on Twitter. I'm Chris Darden at CB Darden. And I am Corey Wright at Be Sublime on Twitter. Uh, the ULP podcast is a production of Logography.net. Logography.net, built on an open source platform. America! See you next time, everybody. All together now.